You are listening to a sermon from Covenant Hope Church. Thank you for engaging with us. If you would like more information about our church family, please visit www.covenanthope.church. We pray that this sermon encourages and challenges you today. Good morning, Covenant Hope. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, grab it and turn to Genesis chapter 28. Guess my name is Cody. I'm one of the pastors here and have the opportunity to open up the scriptures for us regularly and love to do so. We're going to continue in our series through the book of Genesis, which we have titled God's Story of Creation, uh, Restoration. If you are a guest today, we normally walk through books of the Bible together because we want to know what God has to say and not what I have to say. And so we, uh, we come to this time, we call it preaching Uh, Because we want you to hear God's word and respond to it. So uh, I hope you have a Bible. If you don't, uh, you can grab one of those hard black covered Bibles in the pew back in front of you and turn to page 23 to follow along with us. I want you to be looking in your Bibles uh, and following along with us. Our story today reminds us of a fugitive. There are lots of TV shows, lots of movies Uh, that uh, would talk about or explain these kinds of uh, situations that a fugitive would be in. I particularly like the Bourne series. They've they've made a lot of movies and probably exhausted uh, all the things that they can do. But what we see is we we pick up in the story uh, of a trained mercenary, basically. And what we find out over the the, the years, over the movies, is that, that someone actually did this to him. They trained him and made him into something that he didn't know he could be. And so the, story, uh, the movies, they, they walk through that narrative and, and, and look at him and the transformation of him understanding who he was, who he is now, and then really who he's going to be. He gets to decide who he's going to be uh, moving forward. Uh, this, our story today actually takes on that process. Much like uh, maybe one of the most beautiful things in nature, uh, we see a caterpillar uh, crawling, inching on that tree. What does it do? It makes a cocoon. It makes a, uh, a nest for it to, to, to grow. But what happens is it takes some time for that cal- caterpillar to grow. And it's got in the cocoon. And what emerges is a beautiful butterfly. And so that we get to actually see the transformation when it happens, but we don't see what's going on uh, in the cocoon in the meantime. And so this morning what we see is both Jacob as a fugitive encounter the Lord God, and now what is his transformation going to be like? So as we look here in our text this morning, uh, Genesis 28, verses 10 through 22, here's what we're going to see. While Jacob is on the run, God graciously promises to be with him, which causes Jacob to worship. Now, if you are a disciple today, uh, here at Covenant Hope, we talk about making mature disciples, people who love God and love others. And what are we to do today? Well, what does this story uh, teach us? The assurance of God's promised presence transforms us into devoted and confident worshipers, that we can be transformed into confident and devoted worshipers. Over the course of Genesis, we've seen uh, Jacob's life. Really, uh, already, it's him in conflict. Uh, He's in conflict with Esau. He's in conflict with his father, Isaac. And then we're going to see later on in the next couple chapters, he's going to be in conflict with his uncle Laban. His life is about conflict. But one other side of his life is his encounters with God. 
This will not be the only encounter with God that we see Jacob have. But you could say that Jacob's life is described in his conflicts and his encounters. But in this passage, it is not Jacob's conflict. It is God's pursuit of Jacob. And this encounter with God will assure him of his life moving forward. Now, I want you to think about this story in three ways. Every time we look at the Old Testament, there are three stories going on. I've told you this before. There are three stories going on. There's the story here with Jacob. right? The family of promise that God has said, I'm going to provide the seed by which the Messiah is going to come from. And we trace this family. We look here, Jacob. That's story number one. But story number two is the story of Israel, God's people. They, they are most likely at Sinai in the wilderness that they are hearing this story, and how would they hear that? How would the people of God, Israel, be shaped by this story? But it's not, the, it's not the only two stories. There's a third story going on. Where we now, as God's people, 2,000 years after the cross of Jesus Christ, we view this story in a particular way. That we, as God's people, now have received the promised Messiah. And his church, us, we now live out that promise. And that we can also be transformed into devoted and confident worshipers by God's presence. So keep these three stories in your mind as we walk through the passage. The reality of God's presence must shape us. The reality of God's presence must shape us. So this morning, I want to remind us of two realities, two realities from our passage this morning. Reality number one. God's revelation assures us of God's promises and protection. God's revelation assures us of God's promises and protection. Look back there at verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran. Now remember, Jacob is now on the run from his brother Esau, who, he want, who wants to kill him. He lied to his father last week. So he deceived his father. He cheated Esau out of uh, his, his blessing Jacob is a fugitive, heading for his uncles to be safe. And as Jacob leaves Beersheba, understand he is being separated from his family and from his land, ultimately from God's promise and God's protection. Jacob was not fleeing only his, his family and his land. He was really leaving God. But here God is going to pursue him. Jacob was also, think about it, he, he probably lived a life of luxury uh, in, in their times. Uh, he was used to being served. He was used to having food. He was used to not having to do much. Now he's on the run. He's desperate. He, he doesn't know where to go. I wonder if some of us in the room today can identify with Jacob in this moment. Have you been afraid, uncertain, lonely? Are you in a season of stress and anxiety and running? That you are not pursuing the Lord? Well, this is the occasion. This is the occasion for Jacob right now. He is on his own. And so what we see here in that occasion is he's fear and fleeing. Look at verse 11. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. He took one of the stones from that place, put it there at his head, and lay down 
in that place. Jacob was probably tired, tired of running. So he stops at this place and finds a stone to lay down to sleep. Now, this stone could have been used as a pillow. I don't know about you, um, but I don't use stones for pillows. I go to like the sleep number store and uh, get a nice uh, shaped uh, pillow so I can lay my head down on. I don't sleep on stones. Um, But he is so tired and so desperate, he he grabs a stone and marks out his bed and lays down. I'm not sure I could go to sleep in that situation. It is in this moment, though, that nothing less than an encounter with the holy God and his revelation that will actually assure Jacob. And so now we see the covenant keeper. We see the revelation. God shows up. Look at verse 12. And he dreamed a stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky, and God's angels were going up and down on it. The Lord standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. Now, in Jacob's distress, God reveals himself in a dream. But this dream focuses Jacob and our own attention on the Lord himself. Look at the parts of the dream. It says there's a stairway, or some of your translations may say ladder. Uh, It's significant in a few ways. First, it is a bridge between heaven and earth. We see that the angels come from heaven to earth and vice versa. This is how you get to heaven. Second, it reminds us of the Tower of Babel. Very similar phrase here, that, that the people of Babel want to be a stairway to the heavens. Now, this, though, is not man's ladder. It is God's ladder. There is access uh, to God. What happens at Babel is that God goes down and confuses their languages because they were trying to reach God or reach the heavens. But notice where the dream is pointing to where it culminates, to the Lord himself. He is standing beside it, the stairway. It's not a hymn. There's some... Uh, there's some things going on in the Hebrew text, but he's standing beside the ladder. And really in Jacob's mind, Jacob sees him. And so that's the way in which the dream is happening. The ladder, uh, this is that, think about this, how Jacob would see it, right? Oh, there's a ladder. Oh, there are angels going up and down. Oh, there is the Lord God himself standing there at the top of this ladder. It culminates and the Lord being revealed. It is the Lord who stands at the top of this ladder who is the world's sovereign. And the dream centers on him and his revelation. Now notice how the Lord describes himself. I am the Lord, that is Yahweh, the covenant name, the God of Abraham, that is his father, that's making this connection back to the seed, the offspring, the promised family. And also the God of Isaac. Now look at what Yahweh, the covenant keeper, says. Continue there in verse 13. I will give you your offspring, the land on which you are lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out towards the west, the east, the north, and the south. All the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. We see here that the covenant is continued. The covenant is continued. There's a promise here. Look at verse 15. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Look there. Notice where the promise starts. 
The promise starts with who God is. Jacob is assured of God's promises because of who God is. Promises are only as good as the person making them. Think about it. When you, when you were a little kid, you made a pinky swear with your friend or your brothers or sisters. and you, you understood that when you make that pinky promise, that person that you were holding hands with is making that promise to you. And you can trust them. A promise is only as good as the person making the promise. And this promise is based on God. These flow out of God's character. So look, first, God's going to give Jacob the land. Even though he's fleeing, even though he's running from his brother, God will one day give this land to Jacob's offspring. We have seen Abraham contend for this land. We have seen Abraham buy a barrel plot for this land But God says, I am going to give your offspring this land. A continuation of the promise to Abraham and to Isaac. Second, God will give Jacob offspring. God is going to continue the seed. They will multiply greatly and spread out all over the land. Again, this is the opposite of Babel. Babel was scattered, but God's people will spread. They will multiply. This is God's purpose. All of this actually foreshadowing Jacob getting a wife, which we'll talk about next week. Thirdly, God will bless Jacob. But notice, church family, this blessing isn't for Jacob himself. This blessing is the messianic promise that the world would be blessed through Jacob and his offspring. The Messiah, the promised seed, would come from this family. If you remember... Even after the deception, Isaac, he conferred a blessing again on Jacob to confirm, hey, now the blessing cannot be taken away. I've already given it to you, so I'm going to say it again. But what Isaac couldn't do was to promise that the world will be blessed through his son. God is the one who must bring the blessing to all peoples. And fourth, lastly, God promises his presence and protection. God will be with him. Jacob doesn't know the future. It is God's presence that assures Jacob that he will be with him and that no matter what he faces, God will be there. I want to think about the Exodus. Think about how God's people, they had multiplied in the land. They they are struggling under the oppression of the Egyptians and God shows up. And now they're going to leave that land. But what what were they afraid of? They were afraid of being killed because they were going to trust this God. But it is that God who was with them every step of the way, who ten plagues showed, I am Yahweh. And it's this God who then takes his people through the Red Sea, takes them into the wilderness and protects them and is with them. It is God's presence that tells us that everything is going to be okay. God's promise of his presence carried God's people in times of danger and difficulty. Think about Moses. Before he even goes to get the people of God, he gives gives an excuse. And God says, I will be with you. Think about Joshua. When they're going to enter into the promised land, I am your God. I will go before you. God is with them. God is always with his 
people. Think about Daniel in the lion's den. It is God's presence that sustains us in times of difficulty and danger, in times of stress and anxiety or desperation. It is God who sustains his people. And church, don't forget, this is pure grace from God. Jacob doesn't deserve God's blessing. He is a recipient of God's grace. Because just a few verses before, he's cheated his family out of the blessing. Church, our God is with his people. This promise should encourage us. But it doesn't exclude us from conflict and tension, as we're going to see later in Jacob's life. But it does guarantee the outcome for the good of the covenant and its recipients. So if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior today, then you are a recipient of God's promises of his covenant. And it will always work out for God's people and his promises. God has indeed revealed himself to Jacob, and now the assurance of God's promised presence will cause Jacob to respond, which brings us to our second reality. Our response announces our transformation and trust. Our response announces our transformation and trust. How would you respond to God's revelation? It's particularly in a dream. I think we have good evidence that Jacob, even though he was in the family of promise, did not have a relationship with God at all. He, he didn't know God in the way that we would say that we know God through Jesus Christ. And this is a reminder, parents, that every single person on the planet needs an, an encounter with God through his word and the gospel. We cannot take for granted that our children just hear it, but they must have an encounter with God. We must help disciple them, evangelize them so that they know and actually come to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Jacob didn't know God. But God, he comes to him and pursues him. Now look at how Jacob responds with this encounter. Moses writes, when Jacob awoke from his sleep in verse 16, he said, surely this... The Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. He was afraid and said, what an awesome place this is. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. We see an immediate change in Jacob. There is a reverent fear all in him now. So in this response, we see change. We see the change. Right? Even though Jacob did not have a relationship with God, he knew immediately what had just taken place. We see this change in two specific ways. First, Jacob renames the place that the Lord has revealed himself in. Right? If you notice, Moses, Moses deliberately took the attention off the area that he was in, and he would refer to it as that place. He does it three times in verse 11. He does it one time in verse 16 and one time in verse 17. But this is a generic place that becomes none other than the house of God. Jacob knows, he sees that this, something has happened. I have met God in this place. And church, we know it is the house of God where people come to corporately worship him. In the Old Testament, the house of God will be the tabernacle and the temple where his presence will reside. Jacob has experienced God's presence. In this place, people will encounter God. It is the house of God that heaven and earth meet. It's the place that God shows up. Again, Bethel was the opposite of Babel. 
Because this is on God's terms. This is God's promises being revealed to Jacob. Human effort to reach God only brought judgment. But when God's gracious revelation shows up, it brought blessing. We must go to God on his terms. We don't get to decide how we do that. Church, let me be very clear. The Bible tells us, it doesn't give us every answer of life, but what it does tell us is how are we to be made right with God? And so we get to actually see how do we submit our lives to Jesus in faith and repentance. And we cannot change that. We, we, don't, get to, we don't get to make up the rules and say, this is how I'm going to get to God. No, we have to come to God on his terms. The Lord himself is the initiator of change. His revelation, his assurance is the catalyst for true and lasting change. So Jacob has changed the name of the place, but look at the second change. Early in the morning, Jacob took that stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He pulled oil over top of it and named the place Bethel, though previously the city was named Luz. Second, we see a change not in just the place, but we see a change in Jacob. Right? He has now become a worshiper of the Lord. Jacob takes the stone uh, and he places it as a marker. Think monument. This is a monument to the Lord. He pulls oil over it. That was costly. This, like, that's his sacrifice. It would be the same way which if he were to bring an animal to be sacrificed for the Lord. He, he pours that oil down and you see that he is giving something to God as a sacrifice. Jacob is no longer a fugitive on the run, but a worshiper concerned and committed to God's ways. His first concern was with who God is and then the promises that he has made. Worship is the only response to revelation. Worship is the only response to revelation. When God's promises, when he promises his presence through his word, we can absolutely trust it. So then our lives must match what has been revealed to us. We must respond in worship. This is why every Sunday morning we center our worship gathering on God's word. It will be the center of our worship Always. It's why we look at the songs that we choose to help us understand the truths of the passage that we read. When we pray, we pray centered on God's word because it is God's revelation to us. Worship is the only response to revelation. Now, I want us to zoom in on the changes that take place in the response. I want you to see what happens to Jacob. Look at his transformation. Now Jacob is going to make a commitment. He's going to make a commitment. And when we look at Jacob's life after this point, we know that he struggles to live out this commitment. But either way, we know God makes a commitment to him. And Jacob will continue to grow. This should assure you. Maybe you've struggled with sin this week. Maybe, maybe that sin that you fought for years is coming back and roaring his head against you. The Christian life is one of progress, not instant transformation. And to be honest, church, I, I didn't understand that for a long time. And so every time I'd fall into deep sin, I began to question my own salvation. But we see here throughout the Bible, particularly with Jacob, the Christian life is one of progress. You don't have to be perfect because you won't be. It takes time and people to help you see the amount of growth in your own life. 
you will not be perfect. But as you are walking with God in his presence, in his promises, then over time you look more like Jesus. And it's hard for us to actually see that ourselves a lot of times where we get tunnel visioned, which is why we have the church. We have each other to hold our hands and to say, man, I've really seen God work in your life. Well, that was, that was a really big step for you. you. You can't live the Christian life by yourself and you can't see your own transformation. We need each other to see what God is doing in our lives. Notice what Jacob does here. Look what he does in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. This stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house, and I will give you a tenth that all you give me. Jacob makes a vow. He uses this if-then statement. But understand, the vows are not intended to induce God into some action. That's not what Jacob is doing. They were made to bind Jacob, the worshiper, to God and his promises. That he was going to respond in the right way. Jacob was committing to God because God had committed himself to him. Is his word, his promise. And now the onus was on Jacob, not God. God was going to come through. Jacob is saying, if God will do this for me, then I will absolutely do this for him. I can remember the first time that I heard the gospel, clearly. I was seven years old at the church I grew up in. That week had been the first time I'd stepped inside of a church, but I heard the gospel clearly that, that night. And what I could not get over was if Jesus had died for me, then I'm going to give my life to him. I think that's where Jacob's at. If God is going to be with me, he's going to protect me, he's going to provide for me, he's going to bless me, then he will absolutely be my God. If God has done this, then I will give everything to him. Look at the action Jacob takes. He worships by saying, this is my God. He, he, he lays the stone out. He sacrifices there. This is God's house. He names the place Bethel. And then lastly, this is really the, the most emphatic thing that he does. He give, he's going to give. And says he will give a tenth of his possessions. Giving is an act of worship. Giving is a worshipful response. We see the change in Jacob, right? Remember what Jacob was described as when he comes out of the womb. There were twins, him and Esau. Esau comes out hairy, and so they name him Esau. And Jacob comes out grasping Esau's hill. And so Jacob means the one who grasps, the grasper. And so no longer is he a grasper, he is a giver. This is the change that's taking place now in Jacob. That what we see here is that God's people, we, we are to be generous with our things and to give with what God has given us. Now remember, there are three stories going on at one time. We've seen what has happened to Jacob, but think about Israel. Jacob is the pattern for God's people. Think about these individuals. Go back to Moses. I will be with you. Okay, God shows up. Ten plagues takes the people out of Egypt, and the people begin to complain. 
And who does Moses have to go to? He has to go to God. He has to go to Yahweh. And that, that is what sustains him to lead the people of God through the wilderness to the promised land. Think of Joshua. I will be with you. Think of Gideon. They're about to go to battle. Gideon's got thousands of men out there. And God's like, no, no, you got too many. You got too many. You got, you got, you got, to, you got to whittle that down. Well, they get down to that, you know, to the next number, a couple thousand men. And then God does this weird thing. Hey, whoever drinks the water like a dog, he's out. Got to go home. And what happens is now he's got 300 men. 300. Here's the point. Gideon couldn't win a battle with 300 men. It is God's presence that sustains him and his people through that, that endeavor. But think about corporately. Right? God is with his people, and, he, and he's so much, he does that so much so that he, this pillar of fire travels with the tabernacle while the people of Israel are in the wilderness on the way to promised land. Think about that tabernacle. The, the, the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, where God's presence would come and be with his people. Jacob is a pattern for God's people. That God would show up at, in the tabernacle. He'd show up in the temple when it's built. This was a place for God's presence. But God also would be with his people in the fields, in their homes, in their jobs, and all that they would do. God was with his people. God is God's with his people, and his presence transforms them into devoted and confident worshipers. The promise of God's presence to Israel prepares us for the true coming of God, the true seed of the woman. Remember, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, God said, I will put enmity between your seed, that is the woman's seed, and the seed of the serpent. There will be a seed, a son, who will crush the head of this serpent. And that seed is Jesus Christ. Think about it. What's his name? Emmanuel. God with us. Jesus is the embodiment of God's presence and promises. Jesus, talking to Nathaniel in John chapter 1, he, he's the latter. Verse 51, Jesus said, Then he said, Truly I say to you, you will see heaven opened up and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's no ladder that Jesus talks about. Jesus is the stairway. He is the latter. He is the access point between humanity and God. There is no other access point. There is no other way. Jesus is the way. Jesus is the only way for sinful people to be with God. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promises, of his presence. And then Jesus, he lives a perfect life. He's handed over to the Romans to be killed by the Jews. And he's killed on the cross. And he dies in our place. He, he dies as a substitute. He dies as, as our sacrifice so that we can be made right with God. Because as sinful people, we see throughout the Old Testament that a sinful people could not be in God's presence. If the priest, the high priest, the top priest could go into the Holy of Holies, he had to do it without sin. If he went there, there was sin, they tied a rope on his leg and they pulled him out because he was dead. 
A holy God can't be with sinful people. That's why Jesus had to come and die in our place. But When Jesus died on the cross and took God's wrath for sin, the veil to the Holy of Holies, where God's presence was, was torn into. And now God's people have access to him always. Because you see, Jesus, being God, was buried for three days and was raised three days later. Jesus is God in the flesh, the Son of God. And he now reigns as the King of the universe. And we now, as his people, we submit our lives to him in faith and repentance and we live. We have his presence. What does Jesus tell his disciples? Go make disciples. I will be with you always at the end of the age. That's the promise. The promise is the same. I will be with you. The task for us as a church is to go make disciples here in Wake Forest, Youngsville, all around North Carolina, all around the world, because our God is with us. And we're fortunate. We get a glimpse of the future. In Revelation 21, we know the end. We know the end of the story. We know that God wins in the end. Look, if you have, flip over at the last book of the Bible. Revelation 21, verse 1. Revelation 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. When Jesus comes back, he's going to restore all things. The first heaven and earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I also saw a holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief Crying and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Church, what a beautiful promise that we know in the end that yes, we have the Holy Spirit now, God's presence in us, but there will be a time when God makes everything right, He makes everything new, and then we get to be with God forever. That we're with Him. That we're his people. We will no longer wait for him. What a wonderful promise. The church, let me be very clear, that only happens if you have submitted your life to Jesus. Through repentance and faith. Maybe you're thinking today, you're like, Pastor Cody, you don't, you don't know all the things I've done. God can't. He won't. Forgive me. God can't love me. Well, remember all that Jacob has done. Deceived and cheated his family. It is this Jacob that God reveals himself to and promises his presence to. There is nothing that you can do that to make God not love you. God loved you so much that he gave his own son to die in your place. You see, we've got to respond. Today, you've clearly heard the gospel. You're, you, you have to respond to the gospel by submitting your life to him in faith and repentance to believe 
and to be willing to confess that you're a sinner. This is the true story of the world that our God is with us. But that only happens when we submit our lives to Jesus. And if you're not a believer today, we want for you to know Jesus. We want you to know this presence. We want you to know this peace because there's nothing else that can help us live this life out. So my prayer for you, if you're not a believer today, is to know this Jesus. My prayer for you, if you're a believer in the room, that, that you know this with your head, but you know it also with your heart. That God is with you. He's, he's with you through his spirit, and he's with you with his people. He's with you through his word. And these are the most tangible ways in which we experience and encounter God. It's through his word and his spirit and his people. And may you walk out today encouraged to face whatever time of of depression and anxiety or stress or running, whatever it is you brought into this room, you can walk into that assured and transformed, confident to worship God. Pray with me. God, I ask that all of us in the room today would be encouraged, assured of your promises because you are with us. God, I pray that you would would remind us of all that you've done for Jacob and the people of Israel and what you've done through Jesus and what you will do when you make all things new again. So God, would you help us? Would you help us remember who you are and remember that we are your people? May you use us. But may you use us that we know that you're with us. God, we love you. May ask all this in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Spirit. Amen.